0: If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4, you can find that on page 921 in the Pew Bibles. We'll be reading the entire chapter of Jonah 4. Last time we touched on the first four verses of the chapter, and our text this morning will be verses 5 through 11. But we'll just read the whole chapter so that we can see the context again. Jonah, chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night And perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Thus far the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Weeks ago, when we started working through this book of Jonah together, I mentioned that children's storybooks often get this book wrong. So often, Jonah is presented as the main subject of the book. Jonah disobeyed and ended up in the belly of a fish. Jonah prayed and got put back on dry land. And then Jonah obeyed and led the city of Nineveh to repentance. What a happy ending! Now go and be like Jonah and obey God's commands. I hope that as we enter into our seventh and final sermon from this book, you can see how shallow that kind of interpretation is. And not only shallow, but incomplete. For where does the chapter we just read fit into that story? I'm not sure any of the parents would be too happy if the children's books ended with, and Jonah threw a temper tantrum over God's mercy. Now go and be like Jonah. The inclusion of this chapter in our Bibles turns this from a story about a prophet who learned an important lesson into something much different. Something much bigger. Because Jonah is painted in such a bad light here, it is clear that our eyes should not be on Jonah, but on God. So far, we have seen that God has a missionary heart. He is sovereign over creation. He gives new life to his people. He delights in repentance, and he confronts sinful hearts. But one question still remains. Why does God go to these great lengths to reach the people like Nineveh? What moves God so that he even desires that such a wicked city come to know him? That is the question that our text answers in a remarkable way. So we're going to look at it under the theme, The Lord exhibits his compassionate nature to his prideful prophet. And we'll explore this theme in three parts. First, through Jonah's compassion for the plant. Second, through the Lord's compassion for Jonah. And third, through the Lord's compassion for Nineveh. So let's begin and see how the Lord arranges for Jonah to show compassion for the plant. When we left Jonah last time, he had just been asked a question by God. What right do you have to be angry? Jonah never answers God's question. But we read in verse 5 that Jonah leaves the city of Nineveh to see if their repentance will last. Instead of taking God's question as an opportunity to reflect on his own anger, Jonah seems to be hoping that it was just a call to have patience. As if God said, Why are you so angry right now when I said the destruction would come after 40 days? So Jonah leaves the city to see for himself if Nineveh will falter in their repentance and receive the destruction that he believes they deserve. But Jonah's destination takes him away from all the conveniences of the city. So now it's up to him to find shelter from the harsh elements of the Middle East. Jonah builds a small booth to offer some protection, but with the scarcity of building materials that near to the city, he likely couldn't provide much of a roof for his little hut. So he would be shaded by walls for a few hours in the morning and evening. But the sun would beat down on him during the hottest part of the day. We read that at, at the end of verse 6 that Jonah was experiencing discomfort because of this. Which, interesting enough, is the same word again that has been used throughout, the book of, throughout this book for Nineveh's evil and for Jonah's displeasure at their at God relenting from disaster in the face of Jonah's discomfort God once again has compassion on Jonah and shows him mercy he causes a fast-growing plant to rise up over Jonah's booth to provide him shade from the noonday sun and Jonah, Jonah is exceedingly glad because of this plant that saved him from his plight Just as we've seen in regard to the great fish that saved him from drowning, Jonah is delighted to receive God's mercy. The text says more literally that Jonah rejoiced with great joy over the plant. He loves the plant. A plant that he did nothing to raise up, but only enjoyed its shade. I hope you're starting to sense the irony that's beginning to play out. Both the city of Nineveh and Jonah had been saved in some way. But there's quite a difference in what they have been saved from, isn't there? Nineveh was saved from God's judgment of complete annihilation. Jonah was saved from physical discomfort. Nineveh was saved because of their repentance that showed hearts that were soft towards God. Jonah was saved despite being opposed to God's display of mercy. And when a repentant city is saved from destruction, Jonah is livid with anger. And when he is saved from discomfort, he rejoices with great joy. For Jonah, the conveniences of his own life are far more important than the very life and salvation of his neighbors. But God is not done with Jonah. Just as he appointed the great fish to save Jonah from drowning and appointed the plant to save Jonah from the sun... God now appoints a worm to attack the plant that Jonah loves. After just one day of providing shade for Jonah, the plant withers away and leaves him exposed to the elements. And if that wasn't bad enough, God also appointed a scorching east wind to make Jonah even more miserable. The extreme discomfort that Jonah now experiences drives him to again state that it would be better for him to die than to live. Last time, we saw that Jonah wished for death because Israel's national security was an idol for him. So here, it would follow that Jonah has another idol, his own comfort. Jonah had compassion on the plant. He loved it so much that he wanted to die rather than to live without it. Reading about Jonah's self-pity party can make us shake our heads at him. But let's be honest— Being self-absorbed is not something that's foreign to us. There are millions of people across the world dying from various diseases. Yet have you ever found yourself questioning God's goodness when you have to deal with seasonal allergies or an occasional headache? Have you ever been mad at God for letting a traffic jam or flat tire make you late for work or an appointment? Even though you still made it safely to your destination, unlike thousands of people who are killed in vehicle accidents every year. And even though billions of people have never even heard the message of the gospel, do we ever get all in a tizzy when others don't agree with us on every fine point of doctrine? So am I saying that it's wrong to be concerned about all those small things? No. Jonah was right to seek out shade. We can seek remedies to common health ailments, And we should strive to be consistently biblical in our doctrine. But we should never let these things become idols for us. Our love for God and our neighbor should not dwindle when things don't go exactly our way. So how does Jonah's compassion for the plant exhibit the Lord's compassion? It's indirect yet at this point in our text. But we can see how God is setting Jonah up for a gotcha moment. God appointed the plant the worm, and the wind to bring Jonah to a point of condemning himself. It's a bit like when the prophet Nathan confronted David over his sins against God, Uriah, and Bathsheba. He introduced David to very specific characters to get him to declare that the man who sinned should be put to death. And in the same way that he sovereignly orchestrates all these events, we see that God has compassion for Jonah. Jonah. Some of you may be wondering if I'm going backwards in this text to talk about God showing compassion by giving shade to Jonah through the plant he appointed. And while that is an example of God showing compassion, that's not the compassion I want to dwell on right now. We need to see how God's response to Jonah's request to die reveals an even deeper compassion that God has for Jonah. So what was God's response? Read with me again the first half of verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? God repeats his question from verse four, only this time in direct reference to the plant. My guess is that this is not your idea of a compassionate answer. So with God making Jonah miserable in the scorching sun and wind, and then addressing his plight with only a question, how can I say that God has compassion for Jonah? Well, there's two things we need to see here. The first of which continues in the line of God's dealings with Jonah in the entire book. In weeks past, we have talked at length about a complementary word to compassion. God's mercy. Which Jonah received often. When Jonah tried to flee from God, he rightly deserved to die for his sin. But God preserved him inside the belly of the great fish. God had compassion on Jonah and showed him mercy. God could have let Jonah drown and then sent a different prophet to Nineveh, but God desired that Jonah fulfill his commission, so he preserved him. Jonah's outrage over God relenting from his promised disaster on Nineveh was also deserving of death. God could have said, "Thanks for delivering my message to Nineveh, but I have had enough of your bad attitude," and destroyed Jonah on the spot. But he didn't. God had compassion on Jonah and showed him mercy. And twice now, Jonah has indicated that he would rather die than continue serving the Lord. But God, in his mercy, won't allow that to happen either. So we see in our text that the fact that God answers Jonah's miserable complaint with just a question is in fact a merciful response. God is showing that he has compassion for Jonah Jonah's prideful spirit and actions are deserving of death, but he is still having a conversation with God. Sometimes, dear congregation, God has compassion on us in the same way. Things don't always go our way, and sometimes our situation even seems hopeless. But even in the darkest valleys, we can still talk with God. We can pray to him, and he can speak to us through his word. What an amazing privilege that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only has he borne the destruction that our sins deserve, but he also gives us direct access into the throne room of God himself. What a compassionate God we serve. But there is also one more thing that I want us to see in God's compassion for Jonah. We just noted that God did not destroy Jonah for his sinful behavior. But it's noteworthy that God did not leave Jonah in his sin either. God could have said, thanks for delivering that message to Nineveh, but please take your bad attitude and leave. But he didn't. Or worse yet, God could have said nothing, and verse 8 would be the end of the narrative. What a hopeless ending that would be. But thankfully, God was not silent with Jonah. He spoke to him. And not only does the fact that God speaks to Jonah show his compassion for him, but the words he says do as well. For they are words seeking to correct Jonah and bring him to repentance of his own. God's compassion for Jonah leads him to keep pursuing Jonah. At first, God was pursuing Jonah in order that he might fulfill his calling to the nations. But now he continues to pursue him for the sake of Jonah's own heart. And we will soon see that even Jonah's discomfort leading up to this served as God's pursuing action. God is relentless in his pursuit of Jonah. Dear congregation, this too is something we can take comfort in. God did not just give us his word and tell us to go figure it out. No, his compassion for us led him to send his one and only son to die on this earth so that we would not have to remain in our sins. So when hard things happen and we feel frustrated by their effects, we need not despair. Sometimes God uses our discomfort to pursue us and draw us back to himself. For those who do not yet believe in the Lord, this kind of pursuing leads to placing one's trust in Christ. And for those who already believe in the Lord, God's pursuit of us leads to our sanctification. God's compassion for us means he does not leave us in our sin, but he draws us to himself. Sometimes God's plan for our lives is uncomfortable, but we can trust that he always has our eternal good in mind. So now after seeing Jonah's compassion for the plant and the Lord's compassion for Jonah, we are ready to take a look at what they have both been leading us towards, the Lord's compassion for Nineveh. God has Jonah right where he wants him as we approach the end of our text. Jonah had compassion on the plant that God appointed and became attached to it. But God destroyed the plant and Jonah responded in anger and despair. God's real life parable is over. So he asked Jonah, do you have a right to be angry for what happened to that plant? And Jonah, still not understanding the lesson, responds in verse 9 with the positive. Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. God responds by explaining Jonah's lived parable. Verses 10 and 11 read, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, In which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? God had appointed the plant, the worm, and the wind in order to employ a common lesser to greater argument with Jonah. He starts off with the lesser, recounting Jonah's situation with some key details. Jonah had compassion on a lowly plant which was only alive for one day. And moreover, Jonah played absolutely no role in establishing that plant. He did not plant the seed, water it, or care for it as it grew. The plant was a gift to Jonah, but he just used the plant for his own comfort, and then was heartbroken when it was so quickly taken away. So how does this relate to Nineveh? God goes on to tell us how with the greater side of the argument. If Jonah thinks he's right to have compassion on a simple plant, then is God not allowed to have pity on human beings? The residents of Nineveh did not disappear overnight. They have been dwelling there and growing up for years, if not decades. And they are not just organic matter to the Lord, they are God's image bearers. If Jonah thinks it's okay to have compassion on a plant, then surely God's compassion for Nineveh is warranted. And Jonah's attitude towards Nineveh should reflect that compassion. The two phrases at the end of verse 11 can throw us for a loop if we're not careful. The first one, 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, is a rounded population for all of Nineveh. The phrase, who do not know their right hand from their left, is not referencing those who are too young to know right from left, But it is an idiom that speaks of those who are not able to distinguish between right and wrong. Don't mistake that for implying Nineveh is innocent by ignorance. But keep it as they don't know how to escape from their evil ways. Essentially, God is saying that he has the right to have compassion on a large city full of people who are helpless when it comes to serving God faithfully. But what about the phrase, and also much cattle? Talk about a strange way to end a book of the Bible. But God's comment about cattle really fits right in with his lesser to greater argument that we just talked about. Based on Jonah's compassion for a lowly plant, God would be justified in having compassion even on a city full of only living, breathing cattle. Even though livestock are worth far less than human citizens, they are still worth far more than plants. This is further evidence that Jonah's prideful attitude towards Nineveh is even more unwarranted. But now I want to draw your attention to a word that has been used throughout this message, the word compassion. It's a key word in these last two verses, although it has been translated with the similar word pity in the ESV. So what does it mean for God to have compassion on Nineveh or pity on Nineveh? And ultimately on us too. The meaning of the word behind pity or compassion is to grieve over or have your heart broken by someone or something. It is the language of becoming attached to somebody. Now, most of the people that we humans get attached to are those we would have a hard time living without the people we need in our lives. Kids get attached to their parents. Husbands get attached to their wives. Wives get attached to their husbands. And parents get attached to their kids. If any of these attachments gets broken, we are grieved greatly. So is this how God's attachment works with his image bearers? Does God need us in the same way that we need our spouse or parents? Certainly not. For that would imply that God is incomplete without us. And we know that that can't be true. Within the fellowship of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are perfectly, and I mean perfectly happy, and have no need of additional relationships. So if that's the case, then how can God speak of having compassion on, of being attached to Nineveh in this way? God has no need of being attached to human beings. So when he does get attached to them, it is by his own free choice. Do you see the glory of that, brothers and sisters? If God was attaching himself to us because of something he needed from us, then we would be in constant danger of being abandoned by God if we were no longer providing what God needed. But that's not how it works. God attached himself to the people of Nineveh Because he chose them. And God attaches himself to us. Because he chose you. And he chose me. And once we are chosen. We are attached for all eternity. And God does not only attach himself to good people. That he is willing. He is also willing to have compassion on those who live wicked lives. What good news for sinners like us. In God's revelation of his compassion for the people of Nineveh we see a picture of the God-man who is yet to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. He too had compassion on a city, the lost city of Jerusalem. Luke tells us that Jesus wept over the city with sorrow over their unbelief. And on the cross, he had compassion on those who didn't know what they were doing, those who didn't know their right hand from their left hand. But whereas Jonah went outside the city to wait for its destruction, Jesus went outside the city to bear infinite destruction for the sins of all his people. What a compassionate God we serve. The book of Jonah ends on a cliffhanger of sorts. Does Jonah see his pride, repent of it, and share in God's compassion for the nations? We're never told. So why would the author of the book not tell us what became of Jonah? Imagine that God's last question to Jonah is an arrow that he shoots at Jonah's heart. It originally did strike Jonah in the heart and force him into reflection. But now that we have this account in written form, Jonah's heart is no longer there. It has disappeared. And all that's left looking at the pages of scripture is my heart and your heart. We are not told about Jonah's response Because it's our response that God is most interested in now. Will we join God in showing compassion to the nations? Will our love for the lost lead us to pursue them and call them to faith in Christ? As we've seen in the past, sometimes the hardest part about reflecting God's missionary spirit through compassionate hearts is letting go of the safety and security that comes with self-isolation. But who left the glories of heaven to suffer the effects of a sinful earth? Christ did. And who gave up the life they had from eternity in order to die on a cross for the sins of the world? Christ did. And he gave it all up so that we might have eternal life with him in heaven. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, the main message that we need to take from this book is that God is a compassionate God. He attaches himself to sinful people to rescue them from their sin and misery. And when God calls us to see the world with a compassionate heart like his, he is not calling us to do anything that he has not first done for us. The compassion we are called to show is available to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let us go out in his strength, and tell our neighbors and the world of the compassionate God who loves them and wants them to be his children. To God be all the glory. Amen. Let us turn to God in prayer. Almighty God, your word is powerful. May it cut into the recesses of our hearts and change us. We praise you for being a compassionate God who attaches yourself to your children. Thank you for having compassion on us and for sending your son to make atonement for all of our sins. And thank you for showing us in the book of Jonah that your compassion for your people leads us to pursue them. Create in us compassionate spirits so that we too can have hearts for the lost. Give us boldness when we encounter those who need to hear about you. And may your spirit work in the hearts of all who hear of your great name. All this we pray for the honor and praise of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.